right. Welcome to the first episode of Beats and Real Talk with your host, Danny and... Mr. Coleman, ATL, Chris Coleman. All right. Well, today we have a special, special guest. We have actress, author, screenwriter, and TV host, Ms. Sherry McRae. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Yes, ma'am. Now, just to give people a little background, uh, you are a phenomenal woman. And I'm not just saying that just to say that because you're a host. I, I met this young lady uh, a couple of years ago through um, a filming, a project that we had, actually. And once I met her, I was like, oh, she's dope. She's real dope. And um we worked on two projects together where I was directing and she was um, one of the uh, lead actors. And uh, I definitely don't want that to be the last two things that we worked on, but it definitely was a great experience. Uh, She's definitely a dope actress. Um, Other things that she do as well is dope. And I'm just once again, glad that she's on today and I'll just have her speak a little bit for herself. So let the people know, Exactly. What's going on with you, ma'am? Oh, goodness. Aside from a pandemic, uh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> right. there, um, there's a myriad of things going on. Um, but as far as, um, you know, my background, I'm a native of Miami, Florida. And I have lived in Atlanta since 2006. So actually this month makes 15 years I've been here. And um, it's been quite a roller coaster of a ride and that's in every aspect of you know my residency but um I'm enjoying definitely enjoying um not only the uh you know just the simple side of just living here meeting new people becoming parting becoming a part of a variety of organizations but I also um I'm attack mode when it comes to industry and, and all things creativity. And so um, I'm a mother of one. I have a um, adult son. I can finally say that now. <laughs> 19, and he's also following in my footsteps as it relates to cinema. And um, so I am just really all about exploration, evolution, um, just, I feel I'm ever evolving and there is so much more that I want to tackle. And so that's just, you know, that's just oh. kind of like the front runner of, of, of what I do and who I am. Um, okay. Yes. Okay. Now your son, uh, we've met several times and we actually, um, the last project we were on, we actually, he was actually involved in that project as well. So, um, now I see he's you guys have worked on more than several projects together and the question that I have in regards to that is when did this begin when you two started working together and what are some of the benefits that you receive with working with your son well he and I started working together um, when he didn't know he wanted to work together Okay. So um, I think he was just, you know, kind of one of those, you know, parents 
child relationships where I was working on several sets and you know you don't have a babysitter so your child mm-hmm. kind of comes along with you mm-hmm. and um I think that he really started um his his creative eye um began to develop when um I actually was um at a uh, casting agency that was doing a um kind of like a, a visual or uh, an interview style setting as well called Actorscope. And that was a situation where um, I believe he was out of school. He had to have been about maybe 13 and a half, 14 and a half, something like that. He's 19 now, but um, maybe 13, 14. And um, he was out of school. And so I said, well, you know, you need to come with me. I always, you know, he's always been my little... Um, passenger seat buddy so everywhere I used to go I was like come on come with me come with me and I can't successfully pull that off today but at that <laughs> age they're still a little impressionable and still curious and still want to get out the house if they can't hang with their friends then and they feel like okay fine I'll come and um I remember that's the first time he picked up a camera and it was so exciting because you just kind of saw um, just this extra layer of curiosity. And um, yeah, they end up putting him to work on that set um, because they needed um, additional manpower. And he just, you know, held the heavy duty camera and he just, you know, he was kind of like more so the guy that was circulating with the camera and mm-hmm. just doing what he was told. And so I really had that set. Um, to thank for introducing him to that. Um, it was just amazing. But so ever since then, you know, give or take, maybe roughly five, six years, he has um, come into his own, um, is, is working um, a few jobs, you know, just to sustain his bills, but also to build his own equipment. Um, he does have his own photography company and um, he's starting to do a little bit more cinema documentaries things like that um and so I am just wowed at the fact that yeah it's just one of those things where if I would have started that way or if someone would have exposed me to um some facet of the industry in that way at that age I, I could just imagine where I would be today most definitely that yeah, that's true. Go ahead. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I know I, I if I had that at that age, I definitely can see myself much further than I am right now. <laughs> what about yourself, Chris? Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, I um, I didn't really get into this until a couple of years ago, and so I'm in my mid thirties, and so um, I tinkered around with it in high school, um, with with the AV club and things like that, but I really didn't. It wasn't anything serious to me. And I think, um, like you know, like you said, if it was something that was really I was really exposed to, um, I, I definitely would have gotten gotten into it a lot earlier. Um, and the kind of, I actually want to ask a question about that too because I feel like a lot of that is kind of generational. Like a lot of our parents' generation, um, they kind of like taught us that you know you have to go to college and get a corporate job and these type of things, but you know, a lot of us who are creatives, you know, we we're molding our children. I have two kids myself. And so we're, you know, molding our kids to 
just explore their creativity more. So kind of talk about more, like talk about that a little bit as far as like uh, your view of like encouraging young black youth to um, just explore their creative uh, pursuits, um, you know, aside, you know, as opposed to just going the traditional route that we were, you know, many of us were taught, like, what is your view on that? I, I definitely think it needs to be more, but I also think that in stating it needs to be more, um, what precedes that, um, you know, like a societal impression is that the art is not essential. You know, the art is just air quotes playing around. So we're coming into our own as a society where we are building up a different brand or breed of people, starting with our younger generation. But um, I believe that that mindset is shifting of being so traditional and so, you know, be just those top five, um, you know, um, career professionals and you know, go to school to be the doctor, the lawyer, the engineer, you know, um, the psychologist, just those trends are actually changing. Um, but it's not an overnight feat. And I believe that the more that you incorporate or emphasize how, um, you know, being artistic and creative and actually developing a craft around such things um, is a pivotal part of a lot of these young people's lives incorporate programs or funding in schools so that they can develop, you know, these traits early on and give them full range to pick and choose what they want to do. Don't enforce someone, you know, based on the notion that, uh, you know, you need to get into this, to this profession because one day you're going to have um, a family and you're going to have you know, a higher level of responsibility and this is going to afford you the opportunity to live the safe life. Allow them to explore what's going to fulfill them, you know, and you're right, it is the, the no not to the older generations because we all have had to have generations that have their own characteristics, but I think coming into today those characteristics, characteristics are actually merging into I want to explore and I want to do the non, you know, the unorthodox or the non-traditional, um, the non-traditional path. I want to really um, impart into myself and my children, you know, the fact that you can do whatever you want to do, whatever brings the most joy and fulfillment, not whatever pays every single bill and prepares me for, you know, just a lifestyle of where you're just stagnant and you're not enjoying it and you know you're just really placed along you know the rest of society that's like well I'm just gonna go through the motion so I think that that's very important um as the as the times change I believe people are you know getting a little bit more flexible in what it is that they desire to Definitely. I, I would totally agree. Yeah, I would have to agree with you on that one. You know, I'm the one on the line that I don't have any children that I've bared, but I do have a lot of children that I have. And 
see, you know, through the generations, things are things are definitely changing. They're definitely changing. Like, for example, you have, um, I, I'm kind of ashamed that I'm about to bring this person up, but you have, uh, you know, the rapper 6ix9ine when people are talking about his snitching and stuff like that. But we have to understand that in our generation, snitching, it, it was said, hey, this is something you don't do. That's the code, regardless if you're on the street or not. Now they're looking at, look, well, if we don't snitch, then somebody can be killed or either someone was killed and we're not saying anything. So things are definitely changing in a different realm. Now, something like that is going to, in my opinion, is going to take a lot longer to change because, you know, the street code is the street code. But I do see with the new generation that they are you know, they're not viewing things the way that we view it if we're within that generation. It's just not like that. And it's understandable because things change. Generations change. Mindsets change. Yeah. And with that being said, today um, is July 7th, which is Blackout Day. And yes, Blackout. uh, So how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's a it's, re- it's definitely a positive step in the right direction culturally and for our community. Um, I believe that if we have the sustainability to be able to carry this torch for years to come, you know, we can embed this, you know, something that's ongoing. The, the one slight issue that I would like to just alter a bit is I really want melanated people to understand truly their history and the really the breakdown of why we are doing what we're doing. And I'm so fervent and passionate about the fact that do not do something just because social media tells you to. And I want that to echo. (laughs) Yes. Not Mm -hmm. do things. That's why the greats are who they are. That's why trailblazers are who they are because they start trends and they can get a body of people to follow the trends. However, there's also rebels who are trailblazers as well. And yes, something is a great movement. I will never take away from, you know, um, definitely not buying goods and services on a, in a 24-hour time frame. I, I celebrate it. You know, it's an inch by inch. You know, you, you take it how you can get it. And I applaud it, period. So that's my answer. However, we need the stamina and we need to have enforcers who are um, of a higher leadership or a higher influence who can all collectively come together and make days like today um, a normality. Like, let's continue on and do these things because if you, again, going back to the history, if you know when you understand our history, where our ancestors stopped paying to ride the bus, you know, they have had boycotts where they have literally gone months where they have walked, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 miles if need be. 
we need yeah. that a year. That was a year. Right. <laughs> a year. Exactly. We need that time. We need that type of, you know, uh, powerhouse leadership in all clusters of our community. Someone that you don't have to make a whole lot of money. You don't have to be a um, hip hop artist. You don't have to be a popular athlete. You just need people who are going to rise up as they as they uh, collectively done thus far. And I'll take the 24-hour period. But I also don't want us to be a people that are going to follow trends and, you know, uh, black out social media at certain various times, you know, of the month or or that one person who was calling this day that and that day this. I want it to be um, a cluster of individuals that can mm-hmm. universally all come together and continue to be a voice when it comes to um, our dollars. And I also would like us as a community to circulate with less spend the money, but just circulate it in Black communities, mm-hmm. Black-owned businesses. Definitely. Don't talk about the Black-owned businesses. Maybe you can write a referral that may help that Black-owned business to become better. But forthcoming, continue to just incorporate a habit. It's habit. And sometimes it takes, yes, 21 days to form a habit. But in this case, if you're doing a movement that is long-lasting, you have to have an assortment of people that's going to step up and say, we're not going to just do this because T.I. told us. We're not going to just do this because 2 Chain told us. We're not going to just do this because LeBron James said it. We got to really deep in our hearts. We got to figure out in our hearts and our minds and our souls and our spirits why our ancestors have called us to do certain things. It's not a trend. You know, it's not a, it's not a fad. It should be something that is embedded in us. And once we change that that rhetoric, once we change the dynamic of our thinking and really and truly understand our history and why we're doing what we're doing, because just with anything, even in acting, even in, you know, anything that is, um, you know, definitely one of those crafts where you got to sincerely work hard for a number of years, um, you know, a, a, a wealth of rejection you have to have a why because if you don't have a why and you don't understand your why you become robotic and you're just doing it for a period of time and then when it's unpopular you'll stop i.e. Gucci i.e. H&M i.e. Starbucks you feel where I'm going with this so it yeah, yeah, be, yeah it has to be something some um it just really has to be a a a, a clear motive as to why you're doing what you're doing today. That's understandable. And um, it, it definitely, I definitely hear what you're saying in regards to it because I actually brought this conversation up. I think Chris, you and I had this conversation before when we were discovered uh, about the blackout today. Yeah. And um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it was you or I. Um, someone else said it and I shared it with you. Basically, someone said, basically, we need a celebrity to get on board. And then that's when T.I. said, you know, let's do this. Yeah. And we know for some people, unfortunately, they they need that 
that uh, celebrity or that influencer to influence them, unfortunately, yeah. because that's the times that we're living in right now. But for someone like us three, we didn't grow up in that time. So just because a celebrity or an influencer said to do it, we're not jumping on that bad wagon because we're not from that generation. Right, right. Most definitely. Um, but it's definitely understandable. And just keeping on to this whole thing that we're on right now. So you recently produced Emancipation, which is a, a documentary special where you talk to a panel of Black men about being basically Black men in America. Tell us about that experience. Well, Emancipation came to mind. Um, it was birthed because I reviewed a video um, online and the video uh, was a demonstration of uh, I believe a teen male, a um, probably a, a you know, I want to say middle age, and then an, an older generation, slightly older generation, and you had each generation, you know, really divulging emotionally their outrage for what's going on, and emancipation was birthed because I wanted to highlight. The different, the different mindsets that each generation has, especially you have a younger generation like my son's age who has never saw anything remotely close to this in their life. Never. So there's a suppression and an aggression that goes along with how do I figure this out? They are barely figuring out their own growth pattern and their own psychological you know, um, you know, standpoint or, you know, just how they view life just with their own personal growth. Then you add on, you know, senior peers being really slaughtered in the street. And you have that middle generation who has seen it through the eyes of their parents, but were too young to really quite know and understand what it felt to really truly fight <clears throat> a battle of this magnitude. And then you have an older generation who has seen riots, who has seen Rodney King, who has seen, you know, perhaps, um, you know, uh, seen or, or, or can kind of wrap their brain around Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X, um, you know, really being um, honestly murdered, but just all of these different facets. And so the birth of emancipation was the idea that there's a there is just a deep-rooted misunderstanding of our Black male community. And um, even though they are the, the warriors, you know, the hunters, the protectors, the providers, and the leaders, where do they have, what, what, how do they compartmentalize all of this without feeling like the weakest link? And it was a, just a conversation in theory of what is some things that can be mapped out emotionally, economically, socially, spiritually. How, how do we get back to, um, you know, ground zero of figuring out if this is something that's going to be ongoing? You know, it's, it starts with a virus, you know, or <laughs> whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if it starts with the virus and you have 
a family that you're protecting and going out in the field wearing a mask and allowing them to stay home, then it merges into police brutality. Then it merges into actually seeing your other male counterparts slaughtered in the streets. Then it goes into, okay, economic distress. I've lost my job. I know my homeboy, they lost the job. And this person, and you know, and it's, it's just compounded one on top of the other. So that conversation was just the start because it's really just something that, um, a flicker that was just ignited that I, I believe it's going to get larger and larger, you know, if I have anything to do with it. But it's just a conversation that many males or many men can finally suppress, sit down and say, okay, so this is what's happening. This is how I feel. Remove the judgment. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this kind of way. Yo, my man, how you feeling? Do you feel the same way? How do you combat this? You know, how do we come together and really stop talking the talk, but just really walking the walk? How do we express and we show a male community, you know, that, that that's really trying to be the pillar, but is executed daily? It's just now we're able to see it because of, um, you know, t- you know, our, our cell phones and so forth. But this is just ongoing. And so I love the platform. I definitely, um, my hat goes off to those, you know, those guys that were on there because it takes a lot to really express that. And a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't know you felt that way, you know. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's really, honestly, it's just, I am promoting more conversations just like that because, you know, I don't, I, it's just really a manhunt and I don't want our men to be under this uh, terrorist, terrorist, terrorist type threat of feeling like we have to get rid of this race of people, this gender of people, because we can't be the minority. We have to stay the majority. So yeah. Very in-depth conversation. I love it. Yeah. Yesterday, I'm viewing it just as a black male who has had a a few run-ins with the police that were extremely negative. Um, I felt like it was a... I felt like it was like a therapy session. I say that because a lot of times as men, we're taught to just suppress and, you know... I mean, not not even necessarily taught, but I think just kind of understood. You know, you got to suppress things, and you know, people ask you, "Are you okay?" And we say, "Yeah," but many times we're not. And just the PTSD of dealing with our experiences and just seeing all this stuff. I mean, view watching a black man on live TV, no, well, not live TV, but on national TV, get choked out. You know, while officers sitting on his sitting on his neck, and you know, just in the countless others, it's it does something to you with emotional trauma. So I felt like it was a, a very healthy way of for the men involved and as well as the viewers to really just let out some emotion and just, you know, unadulterated, no judgment, how, you know, just tell how we feel. And so I feel like it was, I mean, just kudos to you or to, for even thinking of doing that, um, you know, because a lot of times we, you know, it feels like, 
we are just hunted on on you know you know law enforcement and then you know and then unfortunately many times in our own community we're just as this weekend in Atlanta we had a lot of you know you know murders and shootings and stuff I was actually getting lunch at a at a establishment and had I been there like an hour later I, I would have got caught in crossfire of people shooting you know so it's like on both ends it's like we just need a place to where you can just vent and get all that out you know so that was really that was really awesome thank you yeah yeah it definitely was it was it is definitely a conversation that needs to keep going on and um you firm believer i am in things happen for a reason and uh like you said we're having a 19 year old uh black man as a son this is something that is needed for all generations but especially that generation because it's a lot that they don't know it's a lot that we don't know some of our people in the generation because it's stuff that was indoctrinated into us to make sure that we don't know that so there are a lot of things that are becoming knowledge to us right now as far as you know black wall street a lot of people didn't know about that a lot of people didn't know about rosewood a lot of people didn't know about the red shoot you know it's a lot of people that didn't even don't even know emmett till you know there's so many people that don't know anything about that and then here we go to juneteenth and a lot of people didn't understand the meaning behind juneteenth and now a lot of people want to gather and and support the whole juneteenth rally which is great but just know the history and going back to your documentary you actually aired that on juneteenth what was the importance of airing that actual special that was needed on that specific day? Well, um, as you know, Juneteenth was, um, you know, just the realization for many enslaved, um, just the realization that they were free and emancipation, um, you know, just in its vocabulary is a demonstration of, you know, someone that is free, someone that is, um, you know, just really set free and in, in, in is exposed to, you know, a variety of things culturally, um, you know, either in their mind through society or economically. And it was imperative that I had that land on that day because as devil's advocate, I see a lot of posts, you know, circling up until Juneteenth and even landing on the day of Juneteenth um, where it said Juneteenth, free-ish. So it's like, yeah, we're celebrating, you know, that period of time, you know, on on the timetable of history, but are we really truly free? And freedom comes with so many mm-hmm. different components. Um, you know, freedom is, you know, longitude and latitude. I feel mentally, emotionally, um, psychologically. And I just had to have it land on that day because that was my question. Um, that's really truly the question that uh, resonates in my heart is, are we really truly free as a people? And, um, you know, we kind of went around the room and they answered their own, you know, in their own way. 
but just the simple fact that many didn't even know what Juneteenth was. And here we go again. It's okay to be a follower, but I need you to redirect your actions to your why. You're celebrating mm -hmm. something. You don't even know why you're celebrating it. That in right. itself right. is a package deal that demonstrates to me that you are not free. Mm, wow. Because if you if you're free, the freedom is not in the exposure. The freedom is with many people are like, well, I wasn't, and this is a loose example. I wasn't raised in a household where I had a father. Yet, these same individuals can either use the crutch of, I'm going to abandon my children one day if I have them. You know, I'm going to be a poor example and I'm just going to, um, you know, um, disrespect or, you know, or, or, or not um, have monogamy actions towards a woman or, or treat a woman with the utmost respect, you know, like a queen and all these different things. Because I grew up in a household where there was no men to show me. That's exhibit A. Exhibit B is these were my situations. These, these, this was my situation, this was my circumstance and my upbringing. However, I have made the choice to one day have a family, you know, be intentional about changing the narrative of what I went through and deciding that I'm gonna do life things and people this way. So I run it parallel to the emancipation title. The emancipation title, are we truly free? You're not even really truly understanding the elements of Juneteenth. Granted, you were not taught it, but we all sit around through preteen, teenage years, young adult, and well into our perhaps 20s, 30s, 40s, and so on. And we have these conversations in barbershops in beauty salons, um, in gossip columns, um, um, talk shows and documentaries and, you know, cable shows, streaming shows, movies. But we make the conscious choice to choose what we want to know and what we want to learn instead of what needs to be um, you know, really picked up and learned and adapted to. And I have to put myself in that bracket too because the the one time that I learned about Juneteenth is on the campus of Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. Yes. And I just Damn so you, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I just so happened to have a project that I did not want to do. Um, but being a part of a group project, I had to do research. And so I was in the library reading, you know, a vast majority of material and just going over different things. And I stumbled upon not really so much Juneteenth, but I did stumble upon a bunch of things that were happening. Um, when you mentioned Rosewood and, and Tulsa and all these different things, there, Seneca Village and all these, so much stuff is mm -hmm. in our library. But we never go mm -hmm. to that section because, again, 
were free-ish. And we would rather right. worry about name brand in a lot of cases yes. than worry about our name brand, mm. right? And so that's a word for me. That's a word. I looked for the information. I was prompt and I, you know, it was an incentive of a good grade. But however, once I started and I started diving deep, I was like, man, our people are dope. Like, this is just amazing. This happened and this happened. And then you want to know more, you want to know more. So again, emancipation had to happen on duties because I wanted to pose the question as devil's advocate, are we truly free? And as many of those men on that panel, they were like, well, uh, well, see, I think my point exactly. We're, we <laughs> still have a ways to go. We have, we have definitely climbed over several rough, rough terrains and mountains, and we are nearing the mountaintop. But um, yeah, our history is so important to our generation and generations to come because if they're if they're that's why my son was on the panel because if you're gonna lead us out of whatever this is and I believe it's projected to be another hundred years before we're clear of this perhaps mm -hmm. but for those who are spiritual we all know what is going to be the end result. However if we're just talking on a level playing field, I, I foresee a hundred years out for these trends, to, these generations of race, races and different people, you know, in our history to, um, you know, that there to be a spotlight shined on our history because it has to be um, forced and pushed out there and exposed. Like, as you see today, so many people are like, I didn't know that happened. Oh, the Confederate flag. Oh, this. Oh, Stone Mountain. Oh, that. Now it's all kind of bubbling to the surface. So I'm happy. Right. I'm excited. You know, and again, emancipation is very important because we have to understand that freedom is not just a physical thing. Freedom is a mindset. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. I wanted to uh, kind of piggyback off that. Um. Because uh, you really said you just really said a whole lot. Um. When you talk about, you know, like the freedom mindset, and you know, because I, I I speak on this all the time as far as like, even with clothing, like why are we wear why are we wearing European brands that don't pour back into our communities? Like there's plenty of black designers you could buy and like I even I like when you talk about just making it a routine thing like I even when I buy everyday whenever I'm getting ready to buy everyday items I think hold up like what is the black owned version of this let me look it up you know right right and like now like even when we talk about how you went you you, you kind of went down the the rabbit hole of finding out more information uh, which was sparked by your project at FAMU like that's what I'm doing now. Like like ten years ago, I found out about Juneteenth, and I started celebrating it then. Um, and then um, and even now though, like I find myself just reading as much as possible. Um, you know, um, I just finished a book by Dr. Claude Anderson, Black Labor, White Wealth, when he talks yeah. about establishing 
with you know a a, um, a black think tank and uh, establishing mm-hmm. you know kind of like you were talking about earlier like f- organizing events to you know like like blackout tuesday but making that a regular thing things like that so i mean what would you say um is the effective route because i feel like although our ancestors fought for voting and things like that i don't think that's necessarily the most effective method um of doing things not saying we shouldn't but i just feel like you know uh we're we're, we're, why are we still waiting for a, a white you know candidate to give us a helping hand when i feel like what's more effective is knowledge of self and pooling our resources like what like what what are your thoughts on that um you know even at least to the arts as well you know using that as a contributing factor too i believe that voting is essential Mm -hmm. so let me go on record okay in saying that because voting in any capacity voting you know, for uh, politicians, you know, voting for um, student council, voting SGA, voting, uh, you know, homeowners associate, anything that's going to impact a large body of people. So I'll lay that out there. Voting is critical. True. Um, it, that is just one playing field. However, we need to bridge the gap to education. Right. Because if we go ahead and repair our educational systems and continue to create budgets for educational programs, after school programs, boys and girls clubs, you know, having the freedom and the liberty to actually um, fund our educators, um, you know, take a little bit of those budgets that we're giving to these sporting events or the Georgia lottery and let's put something into our educational system because in theory, if you start with educating young minds, those young minds will be intrigued and they will be enlightened at the fact that, you know, we are not a people that, um, you know, systemically we're not dumb. We have invented so many things. We have, you know, we have reached so many heights. However, suppression will make you feel less than because it is definitely social engineering there is some level of engineering it's it's not the fact chris where you mentioned why people want to wear european clothing it's the fact that there's some um embedded insecurity um some brainwashing that's going on there that's saying that in order for you to be somebody you got to have these labels on so it starts with really taking our young people and instead of showing them that other races and all the other cultures, um, you know, are, are the ones with the answers that, you know, um, and this is no knock to any race um, or nationality that I mentioned on this podcast, but you can't say that, you know, um, Asian, um, Asian Americans are smarter than African Americans. That That's just, really, if you go ahead and implement, you know, facts and figures in our history book, which we need funding in order to do that, these young people will know and understand that you have um, historians that have come along and invented all of these different things. 
you know, uh, built these things actually had, um, you know, um, you know, real estate and land and, you know, inventing peanut butter and Madam C.J. Walker. Like, if we just can take our educational system and we can just kind of slightly alter, you know, uh, what people are exposed to, young and old, have an advantage to know about those things, you know, not just African-American studies in college where you have to choose that major, something that's enforced in these school systems. And I believe that the more, the more you know, the more you grow. And also, the more you're exposed to, the more you're proud of. You actually have some level of, of race integrity where you're like, man, my people built pyramids? what we did that you know not just the fact that you know let's let's um strategically implement colorism in communities and in 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 all of these just these different things i think it just starts with education it starts with education it starts with our um also uh our justice system um, we have to go from educating to understanding that um, little black boys and most times even little black girls, that there is um, a system set up that is forecasting, um, you know, how and when these males or females are going to go to jail yes. because they're going to systematically implement things in a community that's going to put your, you know, um, your disadvantages against my advantages, you're gonna wanna steal from me because everything that you've tried because you have a felony or because you went to jail, you're not gonna overcome. So let me just steal or let me just go ahead and um, sell drugs back into the community because there's nothing else that I can do because there's no education in those jail systems that say, we're gonna educate you about economics and this and that, it's not going to be a choice. It's something that's going to be enforced. When you get out of jail, there is a rehabilitation set up for you where we can actually help you to um, pick up different trades and, 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 and learning aids and tools that's going to prepare you for a second chance job opportunity. So you don't have to get back out there and do the same thing that the government set up for you to do anyway because they made that path so much easier for your age bracket. They knew that you were the number of jails that were going to be in a community and the number of, in contrast with the number of schools that this is the statistics. And because the prison system is, you know, really something that's enforced um, to be a game changer financially. If our people were educated about the setup, then they may not fall into the trap. But because so many things are hidden and there is so many secret agendas and we are not, we are not just eager enough. We're not, we are uh, placed in a society, many of us, a large percentage of us, where if psychologically you have tried and you have tried and you have tried and you have tried and you have, and you have failed, you feel that what's trying again, I'm just going to fail again. And that's what we need to put in our textbook. That's what with you, Chris, picking up a book 
instead of you voluntarily picking up a book at <clears throat> at your you know being of of older age we're going to put those books in third graders hands right now definitely you're going to read this now because when you're 13 wow because when you're 33 wow and we're going to just keep putting this book and we're going to we're going to um, have the funding, even if we have to, as a, a melanated community, we're going to have the funding to where we can have a thousand other LeBron James. What right. if we created our own school? And we have the right to, to say, little black boy, little black girl, look where you come from. But without education, right. edu lack of education, lack of resources to education, always leads to destruction because if you don't know where you come from you don't know where you're going you got that right and that goes to where people don't understand with the defund the police i think what happens is when you say that people take that at face value which yeah because everyone thinks differently so yeah you say defund the police and people are like oh wait what do you mean we we need to police no it's not that it's basically exactly like you said we need education. So we don't need police walking around in regular neighborhoods with tactical gear that should be worn on a war zone. That money can be going towards programs that's needed for after school. That can go to not defunding schools. I have a high school, Germantown High School back in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on Germantown and High Street, very large high school that's just sitting there mm. empty. And that's just one out of many. So people are, are really concerned and complaining about defunding the police department, which, you know, like I said, it is going to face value in regards to people thinking that police shouldn't be there at, at shouldn't be there. Well, no, we should be upset because they've started defunding our schools a long time ago. So this is part of our problem that we have with that. And also with our people, you know, like we all know is education. Who, who, he who controls history is the one that's writing history books. So we have a bunch of uh, intelligent black historians out there like Anthony Browder. If you haven't heard of him, he is a great historian and he goes over to Africa and he excavates with his daughter. So he not, so he's finding a lot of information that we don't know still to this day. Um, I also want to put out there that if people haven't seen the documentary by a Tariq Nasheed called Hidden Colors, that is a very informative documentary. They're very lengthy. It's uh, four, I think he's working on number five and five now, I believe. Mm -hmm. But those are really great tools that we can use to educate ourselves in different areas because I understand people learn differently. People don't always like to read books. People don't always like to read, you know, watch documentaries. So we just have to make sure that we get this in uh, these children's hands, but also in our hands too, because there's a lot that we don't know as well because it was hidden from us. So with that being said, we have to continue to educate these children the best way we can and also look at different people to receive this knowledge instead of the same individuals, you know, like Chris said, you know, you have Dr. Claw, you have Dr. Greg Carr, he's wonderful, you know, you have um, 
uh, Eric Dyson out there. You know, you had you have so many intelligent black men and women that we can actually uh, research and find this information out, and it's nothing but a Google away. Right. And so I just want to resurface back to, you know, it's still part of this struggle that we're talking about. So just resurfacing back to you as an actor, what is or what was your hardest struggle becoming a working actor in Atlanta? Um, I would say um, I probably wouldn't project it as a struggle um, because once you are able to classify um, you know, what's your sole purpose in doing a thing, um, you know, the underlying, so, you know, you know, what kind of encompasses that. Um, I will say that it is a very rewarding career. Um, but again, it starts with why are you doing it? You know, what's your, is this a contribution to society? Is this a contribution to your, your own pockets? Like, you know, and either answer is okay. But just why are you doing what you're doing? And so um, I can't really say that it has been, um, you know, an easy uphill climb because it hasn't. But the more I'm able to look back at day one and, you know, you know, fast forward and look where I am today, I'm, I'm just like, you know, this is just one of those career paths that, uh, it, it takes 10, 15, 20 years to um, really become uh, a master of the craft. So I'm in it for the long haul. Um, you know, um, being on that struggle bus or not, I'm, I'm, I'm riding to the wheels fall off. <laughs> so <laughs> I hear that. Now, at what age did you know acting was your passion? Oh, man. Um, now, this is a tricky question because, you know, as a child, I was always accused of acting. I was always just <laughs> the one that's just, you know, attend church with your parents and it's like, baby, go up there and sing. And you don't have an issue with it, you know. I mean, it could it, it could have been in, in some level of, of art, I think, that I feel um, I, I kind of found my way, not so much acting, but for, for me, acting per se, um, I really was exposed to acting when I was maybe, I want to say 19. Um, mm -hmm. And um, this was just a very loose exposure, but I was home from, from college and I got a summer job and I remember working at this summer job and I met a young lady um, who also was <clears throat> needing a summer job, but she was also an actor. She was roughly around my age, maybe give or take two years older. And um, during our downtime um, at the retail store, we would just talk about each other's lifestyles. And then one day um, I found out that she, um, you know, she actually leaves work and she goes on set. And, you know, then a lot of this terminology, I had no idea. I was like, you do what? And so she's like, yeah, I'm kind of on this low budget cable show and it's called this, that, and the other. It's like, 
you know, a very bootleg days of our lives, but it's just was real hood and urban. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, that's interesting. And I didn't think anything of it. And one day um, she comes to work and she, you know, we were talking again, downtime, not really any customers in the store. She said, you know, you should come with me if you don't have anything to do on X day. And so I was like, well, um, they're not going to make me do nothing, are they? Like, I'll come, but just, you know, I, I'm just going to support you. I just, you know, I'm just trying to be nosy. Long story right. short, get on set. Um, and it was pretty interesting. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't one of those long days where you were on set, like most of my days now. So I wasn't really turned off by the longevity of it. But it was just like everyone was having fun and they were laughing and it was like you know the director was you know he was just you know just doing his thing but it was just like y'all just have fun with it you know if you drop a line or two just have fun just have fun and little did I know when I researched the show um you know a little later on it was a pretty popular show and when I saw her I was like oh my god I was on set that day I remember I remember (laughs) and you know, we just had this conversation and I I never um, dived into it then, but I was exposed to it. And I was exposed mm-hmm. to the feeling of, wow, this is, hmm, you know, if, if you can... Like, this is something I want to yeah, do. Yeah, if this is something that mm-hmm. you can get this level of popularity from an urban show, I could just imagine so many different things. And so I ended up going back to and um, as fate would have it, I was at my last three or four credits before, no, I'm sorry, I was in my last semester, I think I needed roughly nine to 12 credits, something like that to finish, and um, my advisor was like, well, you've taken all the mandatory courses, Um, you can actually throw an elective in there if you want to, and just finish with that, and I was like, hmm, Mm -hmm. all the electives were pretty much filled, because I was at the last minute um as far as registering and it was in a theater appreciation course and I was like theater appreciation mm, that sounds easy okay put me in that so I ended up getting into this theater appreciation course y'all oh my gosh this instructor was like you know how you ever have someone that's like it's really in your mind this is so easy why are you making it so hard but they were so passionate about theater, my instructor, mm-hmm. that it was like, I mean, we were getting like, you know, uh, midterm and cumulative exams, like a hundred questions. I'm like, for theater? Got <laughs> and then we had to learn about, you know, center stage, left stage, right stage, lighting, you know, uh, you know, uh, set dress and all of this stuff. And I was like, ma'am, you doing the most. I just need these three credits so I could graduate. But by the time right. <laughs> the semester was over, I had learned so much and I had such an appreciation. Mm-hmm. And even though it was theater, it still was like, I'm glad she made me earn that good grade. Because if I would have just went in there right. like, this is going to be a breeze. Theater, oh, okay. Here goes you some pants and some shoes. Now, okay. You know, memorize that that or whatever the case is but she made it so difficult for us and everybody was complaining like why is she like this it's not this difficult and um that was another notion that 
even though it was difficult, I was still very much drawn to it. And then fast forward to today, you know, um, graduating from college many, many, many years ago, going into corporate America, it just wasn't, it wasn't it. It was, it was just draining, you know, um, physically things were just, I was just tired and hair falling out grinding my teeth at night while I sleep like it was just so much stress and pressure and every job that I have had corporately was always great pay but it was very very low satisfaction Mm. and when you're on the job and you have your coworkers who are telling you you're just different like you just I don't know it don't seem like you belong here Mm. and you're like I do belong here I'm making this you're getting his check, these coins. And but it was mm-hmm. like once you're able to really like look deeper and realize, you know, why am I always so high on life? You know, why is everything so theatrical? You know, just the basic mm-hmm. thing. Um, and then, you know, all of those elements compounded with opportunity. Um, just if if you had any doubt, you know, there are some things that line up that you're just like, I don't know how this happened. So I don't know how this opportunity came about. I don't know how, you know, I was booked for this because I'm, you know, you have that imposter syndrome. Where it's like, I should not be here. But by the grace, you're there and you do a dynamic job. And then you want to just do even more of an, a, a greater job, um, you know, and contribute to this, this craft and your peers and your, colleagues and co-stars, et cetera. So acting is definitely not for the faint at heart. I tell you, this profession is not for the faint at heart because it would have you really looking inward like, okay, why am I doing this? Because boy, if I get another no, you know, <laughs> so it's definitely not for the faint. Yeah. Yeah, most most definitely. Um, cause my um, my wife, I write and now direct. My wife acts though, and she's by debt by her day job. She's a school teacher. Um, but she was um experiencing that cause she just got into acting and she was getting real discouraged with with those. And then she then she got um cast as one of a main character on a uh web series that was supposed oh, to shoot. Okay before covid but then they're still they're on hold because of covid and stuff but yeah so that's that's so true um so definitely resonate uh with that um i also i want to ask too um uh, i think i read in your bio that you also sing as well um how did you uh get, uh, get into that well i've always loved singing um i just I think for me, it was never anything like music theory or learning music or, you know, singing like, you know, this, these hopes of being like this grand solo, you know, solo artist. Um, I just have, like I said, artistically, I'm just packaged because I love everything, you know, I, I've always loved everything, creativity and art, you know, right. any type of artistic expression and singing is one of them. And I've been singing from a little girl. Um, I may not have always sung well, but I always carry a really great tune. 
Um, and that's just because women in my family, um, you know, they don't sing professionally, but, you know, at church you sing in a choir, praising, stuff like that. So they've always carried a really great tune. Um, but I learned, you know, as I got into my adulthood, you have to fine tune that tune. So if you carry a great tune, you can hold that note. But now let's identify what we want to do there. And so um, a lot of theater, I've done a couple musicals, you know, and, and things like that. And I've also, um, I have also done a lot of um, BGVs, which is background vocals for a lot of independent artists here when I first moved here. Mm. And I just really, honestly, for me, I just love harmony. I love blending. I love, I just really honestly like what music does to me and for me um and through me to other people um but yeah that's just one aspect of it I do enjoy it um and I try to do it as often as I can and it is a special skill so if there's ever an opportunity that comes along and there happens to be some movie or you know um any type of platform where they ask, well, can you sing? Then I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I try to like be in and out of vocal lessons and vocal training, you know, and not just for singing. A lot of times vocally, vocal training is really good for, um, you know, cadences and, you know, just tone mm-hmm. and inflection for speaking That's and acting anyway. Sure. Um, but yeah, I love it. I love I love how it makes me feel. I love how it takes me to a different place. I love how therapeutic it is. And I don't really want to be, you know, uh, famous for it per se. I just want to be able to, um, you know, send messages out through song and theory because I think people will listen. People listen to music um, more so than they will listen to, you know, probably blabber on and on and on (laughs) about certain. <laughs> you know. So yeah, that's my relationship. Right. So and 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 that's that's something new that I didn't know uh, uh about you in regards to the music aspect. Now, as far as being an author, I knew about that. Now, uh tell us a little bit about uh your work in regards to being an author in your uh, most recent book. Okay, so the success memoirs what I think you're talking about. Um, Success Memoirs Mm -hmm. came about um, because I, this is the, this is the absolute truth. If I'm lying, I'm fine, right? So many people used to come to me, um, friends, family, you know, colleagues, just people used to come to me so often about, you know, um, certain setbacks in life. And I said, you know, it appears you're doing well for yourself. How do you keep it all together? And I was like, well, that's an appearance, but okay. Um, And so every time I would have, (laughs) I would have advice or like stuff for me, I'm a business major. So business for me is something I don't have to work hard at. You know, I I believe, yeah, business for me is just, I could do it my eyes closed, even if I don't even know what in the world you're talking about. I just have this thing where I can just piece it together real quick and I can mm-hmm. seem like I know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about because it's just for me I just have that knack 
But right. when it came to success, my mark, I just wanted to be able to be able to package something. And I said, well, if 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 my community of people are asking me these questions, I wonder about the rest of the world, you know, because these are some pretty, you know, these are some pretty, um, you know, um, credible answers and questions that, um, you know, people have. And I said, I, I want to be able to put it in something where I can um, share it with more than just friends and family or just in an intimate setting or a panel discussion. And so I came up with success memoirs and it, it initially it was just journaling and then it turned into a PDF. And then I just went ahead and said, okay, I believe in my heart of hearts, I'm a true audible girl. Like for me, uh, listening is the new reading for me. And because I'm, mm-hmm. I have such a, um, you know, um, just a, my lifestyle pulls me in so many different directions. I could just pop something in my ear or, you know, in the car and I could just listen and I can retain and I can go that way. So I fashioned that information into an audio series because I felt it's even if you don't have time to read, you can hear it. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, that's, that's really where that came from in my publishing brand. I wanted to self publish because I, um, I really honestly wanted a hundred percent proceeds. And so that's mm-hmm. where the self-publishing came in with Cray Publishing. And then from there, God just opened up doors where other people were referring people that they knew that also wanted to write books. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Um, hold on, because I just self-published my mm-hmm. thing. Like I I wasn't right. trying to go through all of the headache in your thing. But um, yes, right. I have two clients under my umbrella for publishing, which is really, really awesome. Um, and it's been rewarding because they're still, you know, um, you know, just to my knowledge, they're still selling. And I'm like, wow, okay, well, that's, you know, glory. <laughs> right. Well, there you have it. Oh, there you have it. Is they still selling? You still doing your acting? You still doing your writing? You still doing your hosting? What more can you ask for? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that there is more of an impact. Um, and I think anything you do that services other people, um, you know, and you have the right heart to do it because I I do a lot. And a lot of people are like, Sherry, how in the world do you it all and I say you know it's just one of those things number one again emphasis anyone listening if you don't know why you're doing something don't do it figure that out first because mm-hmm. once you know why mm-hmm. you can attach you know why you're going so hard in the paint to the why and it always runs parallel so I have why for each thing that I'm doing um definitely building a legacy for you know, not just my son, but my kids who are coming and really just being able to have multiple streams where I don't have to, you know, run into a pandemic 10 years from now and be scurrying like, oh my gosh, you know, I just passive income is the way to go. And um, yeah, and just trying to break free from, you know, just the, um, the, the traditional format of, you know, IRAs and 401ks and life insurance from a company. I shall not. I will create these avenues myself and I will funnel 
you know, these proceeds as I see fit. But um, yeah, I think if you can provide a service to people that genuinely helps them and through acting that artistry is being able to send valid um, and unforgettable messages through cinema, that's what I choose to do. And just being more forthcoming and choosing projects that do that. Um, being more forthcoming and being able to share and spread knowledge to different individuals, um, you know, in their walks of life because a lot of people are stuck and they don't know how to get unstuck. And so if I can be, you know, just a passerby um, in your timeline of life and, and intersect and you're like, wow, I never knew that, then hey, I think I fulfilled my, you know, uh, my spiritual your why yeah. Mm -hmm. that why. yeah exactly exactly because they it's that that famous saying I, I can't remember exactly so I'm a paraphrase is basically uh you uh don't know why you're the reason why you're here is two days but then the reason the day that you fight figure out your why that is definitely an amazing situation and you know your why in all the venues that you're traveling down and um I want to thank you for tuning in, everyone. And I also want to thank Miss Sherry McRae with coming along with us on this journey of Beats and Real Talk, our very first yes, episode. Um, before going, let us uh, let everyone know where they can uh, follow you at, all, all your handles. Let them know that. Okay, the absolute easiest is IG, which is uh, Sherry McRae, C H E R R I E. M-C-R-A-E underscore I-G. That's the easiest. And um, I think from there, it sends you to my website and other platforms. But yeah, I-G, you'll definitely not go wrong with knowing where I am on this journey. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. I want to thank you again, Ms. Sherry, for coming on, sharing your time giving uh, the listeners a very good view of who you are, what you're about, and your why. And I want to thank everyone again for listening to the first episode of Beats and Real Talk. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and IG. Until next time, we, we out. out. All right. Thanks for having me. Have an awesome day. Thank you so much. You too. Okay.